Good to go, and if I suddenly do something completely crazy, it's because I had too much leftover Halloween candy today. Oh, sugar high. I might start crying in the middle of the episode. Sugar highs aren't pleasant. No, it's really unpleasant. I don't eat tons of sugar. It's I don't gross. eat any. Yeah, I had a cupcake, and I felt like so sick for like half a day. I didn't feel sick when I read about this. Mm-hmm. What a segue. <laughs> this is something that I picked up at the JC Report and also at the Wall Street Journal's blog. Mm-hmm. And it was about this guy by the name, his name is Mac Folks, and a lot of people in New York know him through the fashion industry. He's worked in that industry for a long time. And he's starting up this, what he calls is an artifact, but it's really, it's a magazine and it's called The Slant. Mm-hmm. And it comes out... Every single month. Actually, it gets shipped sort of like that thing that you were talking, the thing that you were talking about. The thing quarterly, yeah, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. But -hmm. anyway, so you would have this sent to you and you open it up and you could get maps inside of it. It looks like an origami when it unfolds. You get all different sort of curated content that is especially and artfully put together by Mac Folks and his partner. Mm -hmm. And he's doing it. And the thing that's also really interesting about it to me is, is that they, they don't have any advertising. Mm -hmm. It's cost $36. I didn't read that. (laughs) Yeah. 36 bucks a crack, which is a lot. But Mm -hmm. what he says is what it's, coming from is a place in him that he says we're just everything now is about consumerism and nothing is about art Mm -hmm. and this project to him is about art and the reason that he's not taking on any um advertisers is because they're automatically into the fray they want to determine what the outcome will be and it's not he said this is either going to fly or it will flop on its own and it's about art and beauty and craft Mm -hmm. see i think this is a part of that, speaking to the thing quarterly thing, it's part of that resurgence of figuring out what is the valuable thing about an artifact or an actual physical object in a digital world, right? So not just saying, yeah, and we're just going to continue to print newspapers or whatever exactly the same way as we always have because mm-hmm. we can't be bothered to think of a new business model. It's more thinking like, where is the real value in that? And the real value is in having these things that are unique and curated and so forth. So that I thought was really interesting and definitely part of a, a real trend. But what did you think, though, of the idea that, like, to me, it's $36. Mm -hmm. So that automatically puts that divide between people who have a lot of cash and can afford to buy something like that, and then everybody else. Mm -hmm. They do have some digital content up there just to buttress your actual hard copy artifact. Mm -hmm. But poor people won't be getting this land. Yeah. This is the other side of those kind of, like, curated niche kinds of things, is that they are expensive. And I think that's one thing that has really changed because it used to be when you would have something that was like kind of like this publication in an arty, fashion-y way, often they would be like very street, right? And very alternative and stuff like this rather than having to retreat into something of necessity. I mean, they have to make a living, presumably, and they have print costs and all that kind of stuff that's more high-end. So what's the way around that? I don't know. I mean, maybe the way around it is putting the content, more of the content online, 
for free and having the other publication is more of a niche thing for people who want the actual physical object. When we've talked about my book, like actually having it as an e-book and then having the hard copy as the artifact mm-hmm. that you would have that you would spend the money for if you wanted to have hardcover copies in your library. But I know fabulous that. novel. <laughs> oh, okay. No, but I know that you blogged about this recently and the idea I thought that you seemed a little bit troubled about the idea of books as an artifact. Absolutely like I hate to think of a book as an artifact. I think a book is a wonderful technology. I like the idea of me being able to hold on to it. I love uh, being able to go through it. I like being able to mark it up. I like being able to do all of those things. But I don't think that we are going to be reading books the way that we have in the past. Mm-hmm. I don't think that we're going to people will. And I think as me as a writer, thinking that I'm going to be writing in the same environment that an author was 50 years ago, I think that's dead, mm-hmm. that whole idea of... You know, Kathy sits at home alone in her office. She writes out the manuscript. It goes to the editor who fluffs it up, and then it goes out, and then they, and, and she's on Oprah. <laughs> even just, no, even just having like a meager Canadian success, even a book, you know, even a run of, let's say, 500 to 1,000, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't even think that's going to exist that much longer. Yeah, although you uh, actually sent me a link, and we'll put a, a link to it on um, the sniffer.net, to this really interesting, though somewhat lengthy, so you got to have some time to read it, article um, from the Lapham Quarterly or whatever it is, yeah. Lose Lapham's um, publication. It's um, great. It was a really interesting and thought-provoking article, and what the guy was sort of talking about the golden age of books and hearkening back to a much earlier era, you know, sort of the Circa Jane Austen era um, of publishing. And I really thought a lot of that is actually coming back, you know, about bringing readers closer together with authors and having informal curators of stuff to help you find you know, new, interesting, interesting things. I actually, unlike that author, and maybe unlike you, I actually have a fair bit of hope right now for the future. I think we're going through a really difficult time right now. Yeah, but I think for writers who want to be isolated from their public, I think you are going to be a very unhappy group of people. Yeah, yeah. And I think you've got to engage. And that, I agree. Like, Actually, if you folks feel like it, go and check out my blog at kathybond.com because I am talking about it a little bit more. Mm. It's actually quite exciting. It's just, you just have to put a lot more work into the blogging. You have to take, put a lot more work into the talking to people mm-hmm. about the process. <laughs> Which writers are so naturally inclined to do. Oh, fuck <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I actually have a little thing about um, mobiles. This is not totally surprising information, but the degree of it I did find surprising. So Hack College has this infographic that I found through Mashable, which is talking about the way, um, based on studies of how post-secondary students use their cellies. And among the sort of... Cellies? Cellies. Cellies? (laughs) (laughs) Among the uh, finds that I thought were kind of interesting are 60% of students uh, sometimes feel addicted, their word, to their phones. 75% sleep next to their phones. (laughs) 41% say they text in in class uh, once or more per class. And this made me sad. Half of all surveyed have secretly read a friend or romantic partner's texts. You suck. Don't do that. That's bad. That is. That is bad. But I really thought, like, what are the implications of that for education? And maybe it's better not to sort of throw up our hands and say, no cell phones and laptops in the classroom. Maybe we should really be saying, like, how can you actually use the interactive potential of the phone within the context of the classroom? Because People feel like their cell phones are like part of their bodies, essentially. And increasingly, I think people cannot not be distracted. 
So maybe you can. You know what? Use I it. think that they need to have be taken away from them. I am just like an old. <laughs> Get on my lawn. Well, yeah. Well, you know what? You know, when you're in high school mm-hmm. and you're in university, it's your job to be distracted. You're young. You're distracted by everything that's happening mm. around you. Take the fucking thing away. Yeah. I. I, like, I, I know what you mean, but I don't even know. I think maybe that ship has sailed. I don't know if you can do that any longer. Why? Because they're not al- teachers aren't allowed? Like, couldn't there be you have some sort of a device? I don't know if... We go, wee, wee, wee. I'm not sure <laughs> people can actually... And I'm not even talking about young people. I think increasingly as people... There is something quasi-addictive about cell phones, right? And I think as people get used to having them and get used to that sort of drawing them out it's very hard to get them to put them away I was at this talk this public lecture by Douglas Copeland the other day and he was actually using multimedia he was doing this whole YouTube presentation there's yeah. a woman sitting beside me who was like checking your phone I'm like honey you pay good money to see this guy <laughs> like stop you know checking out Twitter while you're supposed to be watching this dude yeah. but that's the reality now yeah, well it's the reality but is it a good thing no, I don't think it's a good thing. Yeah, it, or you have to sort of have something like, okay, you're going to listen to the teacher for 10 minutes, and then you have a two-minute text timeout, mm-hmm. yeah. and then you can go back. But there's got to be some sort of order imposed upon yeah. learning. Because young people, young people, they just won't pay any attention. But that's what I mean, is maybe you could actually use the phone in the teaching process, right? So that they're getting that... You could do like China and just completely just <laughs> drop the iron wall down on it. <laughs> no one could access any internet know-how. No way know-how. Not at Missy Bond's school. <laughs> no technology. That's what you, you should open a really like uh, old school, hardcore school. Don't you remember the Bilka School of Journalism and Agriculture? <laughs> yes, I think you should go back to it. Yes. Anyway, I just have one uh, last little quick uh, mention that I thought was kind of an interesting um, technology. A division of Simon & Schuster is publishing a smart book. So basically it has a little tiny RFID chip in the cover of the book. Mm-hmm. So you hold your phone up. It reads the RFID tag and takes you to a, um, a website that has information about the book, which I thought was kind of an interesting idea. Like normally I don't, I'm not into the whole idea of things taking you out of the reading experience, but I thought this was kind of neat because you could actually have the information on the website that was stuff that you wouldn't really want to have in the immersive experience of the book, but just to find out That's more about true. it before That's you bought true. it. That's true. I could argue you on this point too because I'm in a curmudgeon You're wagging mood. your finger. I'm I don't want to too I much <laughs> Come to the blog. For links to these stories and more. The sniffer.net. Bye. Bye.